Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here with us this morning in person or if you're online as we continue into our second week here in November of our series called Wealth, W-E-L-L, parentheses, T-H, Wealth. I want to share with you a scenario, and in your mind, I want you to answer what you would do. So you take your Suburban into the Valvoline oil change locally here. You take it in, and you're going to get the standard oil change. And as they're changing the oil in your vehicle, they come to the side window and bring your air filter and say, hey, the air filter is super dirty. You need a new air filter. And you decide, hey, I'll spend the extra money, and I'll get the air filter today. And so they put the air filter in, and when they're ringing you up for a total, you realize, hey, I got a $10 off coupon, and you bring it up on your phone, and you show it to them. They scan it, and then they ring up the total, and they tell you that it's $39.99. And in your head, you're thinking, wow, that's an incredible deal. You know, oil change, air filter on a Suburban, you know, SUV. That's amazing. And then in your gut, the Holy Spirit knocks and says, that is a pretty good deal, isn't it? I mean, that's like an amazing deal. Maybe they forgot to put the air filter on there. So what would you do? What would you do? Depending on how you answered reveals if you love money or not. And if you are in danger or not. Depending how you answered the scenario reveals if you love money or not. And if you are in danger or not. So here's a true or false question for you. How honest we are about money transactions reflects our love of money. How honest we are about money transactions reflects our love of money. You know, in our series on wealth, when it comes to money, stuff, wealth, is it well, W-E-L-L-T-H, wealth with your soul. In the Apostle Paul's letter to his student, Timothy, he gives him this warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snake, into ruin and and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, most of us, if not all of us in the room, probably would respond and say, well, I'm not in pursuit of getting rich. I don't have this desire to be rich. But in reality, whether you make $20,000 a year or you make $200,000 a year, doesn't matter. Let me rewrite that 
portion of scripture like this. But those who desire to have or take advantage of a financial advantage fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, regardless if it's a $3 advantage or a $3,000 advantage, if you're looking and you take the advantage, then the Apostle Paul says, hey, you're in danger. You're in danger. You know, oftentimes we think the Bible or, or we, we approach God like, God, why do you have to like poo-poo everything in life? You know, like money and stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like you got to comment on everything. Can't you just leave us alone in some areas like this one? But I find it interesting that beyond just the biblical view or God's view or whatever, that individuals, men and women, see this challenge as well about the tension of money and the love of money. Democritus, an ancient Greek philosopher who is remembered for his formulation of an atomic theory of the universe, stated, the love of money is the metropolis of all evils. Philosopher Seneca speaks of money as the desire for that which does not belong to us, from which every evil of the mind springs. I love his comment, the desire for that which does not belong to us. He's saying, he's like, listen, this, this love of money, this love of stuff, it's not who we are, designed to be who we are. It, it, it should not be in our life. Facilities, a Greek poet, stated, money is the mother of all evils. Jen Lilly, an actress, singer, said, here in the United States, we're consumed by the love of money and status. We think bigger is better, and if we can't just get that, if we can just get that promotion, all will be well with our souls. There's one fatal flaw to this mindset. It's all smoke and mirrors. Now, this morning, I'm not talking about this idea of money and stuff with the notion that we don't need it. I'm not saying, hey, we can't have money, we can't have stuff, or that it is bad. But there's this tension, right? And Soulward Stafford speaks to it. He says, the pursuit of money is empty and soul-destroying. And so is your bank account if you don't do it, Right? I mean, it, there's this tension, right? We obviously need to pursue money and stuff to a certain level because we need to live. But to what level? That's the tension that we're wrestling with here, that Paul is talking to his student Timothy about. But Paul gives Timothy this warning of what money and stuff can do to us. You know, prior to this, he speaks and he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, if you can know what the next right thing is and do it, and if you can be content with what you have, man, that is like great gain. But then he brings this warning. But the opposite is, the love of money and stuff. 
And so Paul writes to Timothy and he brings, first of all, this idea of wealth and warnings. Look at these words that I just read earlier from 1 Timothy 6, 9. It says, when we love money or stuff, it says it makes us fall or it's a snare. It's senseless, harmful, plunge, ruin, destruction, evil. Those aren't pretty words, are they? I mean, those, those aren't pretty words. Now, do we get to the reality of these words in one day? I mean, in one day, do we fall? Do we do senseless stuff? Are we harmful? Do we plunge? Are we destroyed? Do we lean towards evil? No. Do we do it in one act? No. It's this slow fade where we get there to this love of money, my taxes today, or my expense account. Or I think I'm going to, you know, fudge on a transaction, or I'm not going to pay them even though I told them I would pay them. Nobody wakes up and just says, oh, I think I'll do that today, right? I mean, nobody wakes up and decides to be a full-blown alcoholic. It's this slow fade. Nobody wakes up and says, oh, I think I'll embezzle $10,000 from the company today. It's a slow fade. Nobody wakes up and says, ah, it's Monday. I think I'll have an affair. You know, it's no, it's this slow fade. There's a song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. Listen to the refrain. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid. When you give yourself away, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade, a slow fade. Psychologists talk about that when it comes to wrong, our mind automatically goes towards justification. We automatically look to how do we justify it, even though we know something is wrong. This is why Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 8, when it comes to money or stuff, he says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Man, in our thought life, in our peace, in our guilt or our shame, our ability to put our head on the pillow at night and not worry about anything and, and recognize that we've done the next right thing, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And so Paul brings to Timothy this idea of, hey, be careful when it comes to wealth. And here's these, these bigger warnings, right? But he also then in verse 10 speaks about, secondly, this wealth and worries. Because many of us, if not all of us, maybe in the room are like, well, hey, you know, I don't cheat when it comes to money. I don't steal. You know, I'm not lying about money or stuff or whatever. So, hey, this whole idea of falling, senseless, you know, plunging, ruin, destruction, you know, evil when it comes to money and stuff, that's not me. But what about the second portion where 1 Timothy 6.10 says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many pangs. You know, what are some of the words in there again? Craving, wandered, pierced, pangs. When Paul talks about pierced themselves with many pangs, the word pangs literally means emotional pain. Emotional pain. Do you know what emotional pain is? It's worry about money and stuff. It's worrying about money and stuff. And so we may be in the room and saying, well, hey, I've never, you know, I don't cheat. I don't cut people short, you know, those kind of things on money and that. But do we worry about our money or stuff? Yeah, I would say, yeah. We wrestle with that, if we're honest. And so we have this, these pangs, this, these painful emotions when it comes around those areas in our life. When it comes to money and stuff, there can be this natural progression. And I want you to think about these. So the first one is, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. There's this emotion around getting stuff. There's this, at times then, this unfulfillment that comes when that stuff wears off. Or we get into this place of greed in our lives. And so the more we have, the more we want. But then secondly, the more you have, the more you hang on to. The more you hang on to. It's interesting. Storage units haven't been around forever, right? You know, when it comes to the American dream, there was the house. And then there was the house in the one-car garage. And then there was the house in the two-car garage. And then there was the house in the three-car garage, right? But now you have the house in the three-car garage, and then you also have a storage unit. One in 11 Americans have a storage unit, and they pay $91.14 a month for that storage unit to compile and to take care of and to store the American dreams. They say that the volume of the American storage units of trinkets, skis, clothing in these storage units, could the stuff that's just sitting in there. You know what it's like, right? Even if you don't have a storage unit, you have one at home. It's called closets, garages, whatever it might be. And how many of us have moved to a new location? We moved all the stuff from our previous home to the new home. And yet there's things that we have not even touched in 10 years, but we still are holding on to them. We don't even know. We got to open the box. What is this? You know, open the box and you're like, oh, that's what it is. Oh yeah, pack it up. I should hold on to it. You know, it's 10 years later, right? Here's the truth. If you give a man a 10 by 10 storage unit or a shed, he'll fill it. If you give a man a 40 by 60 shed, he'll fill it. It's just reality, right? Now, maybe some of you women are out there like elbowing your husband. Yeah, see? But you know what's fascinating? When I grew up, there was no such thing as a walk-in closet either. But now it's like, hey, everybody needs a walk-in closet when they build a home. 
I mean, what's that? I mean, it, it's, hey, the more you have, the more you hang on to. It's just reality, right? How about this? The more you have, the more you have to manage. And the more you have to manage builds anxiety, builds worry, right? If you have one thing, you have to manage it. But if you have four of the same thing, you have to manage it even more. I mean, we love cabins in Minnesota. We love to go to the cabin. But when you have a cabin, it's like a second home and you got to manage it. You got to cut the grass. You got to make sure the windows are taken care of. You got to secure it. You got to whatever. I mean, it's just, there's a beauty of it, but yet there's an anxiety to it or a management side of it. It's just how it is. And so the reality is the more you have, the more you have to manage. And then fourthly, the more you have, the more you fear to lose. The more you have, the more you fear to lose. I visited with a financial planner this week and wanted to just ask them specifically about how were people when COVID, not the biggest drop in the market, but it was the fastest drop in the market, 35% in history. And he said, people were calling daily and some of the same people were calling every day, checking on things and where things were. Some people who had invested their money for years and years and years liquidated. They took it all out in cash. And they held on, you know, they just wanted to hold on to it, protect it. And he said, these are Christ followers even. They know Jesus. And there was this challenge of faith, right, and fear and that. And he said, it got even worse when we got towards election day. People calling and wondering and, and in fear of what was going to happen to their finances. There's an old fable about a peasant who rendered a great service to a king who rewarded him with the gift of much wealth. For a time, the man was thrilled, but the day came when he begged the king to take back the gift. For into his life had entered the hereafter unknown worry that he might lose what he had. You know, this idea of the more we have, the more we fear to lose. That's why Jesus, when it comes to this whole area of money and stuff and, and worry, says to us in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or your body, what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the richest man ever to live in, all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Where shall we live? What shall we so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where shall we live? What shall we dry? What shall we work? For the pagans, those who don't believe in God, run after all these things. But your heavenly Father 
knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and what does he say? Hey, all these things will be added to you as well. I will take care of these things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. There's enough worry or things to pay attention to today. And Jesus speaks to this. Yeah, maybe we're not embezzling or cheating or lying about our money or stuff or whatever, but it certainly causes us a level of worry and concern and attention. So I want to go back to the story of the oil change at Valvoline because that's my story two weeks ago. When I took my Suburban in, getting the oil changed, the air filter put in, and they rang it up. And I could tell the Holy Spirit was knocking on the heart and saying, hey, man, seems sort of a good deal for an oil change on a Suburban with the air filter. You should ask them if they put it on the tab. But what's interesting is that slow fade and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid. What came to mind? Hey, it's their fault. They didn't put it on there. You know, they didn't catch it. I could have went that route, right? It's their fault. (laughs) They didn't catch it. It's not my deal. Yeah, it's my deal. It's definitely my deal. What was I going to do, right? My choice determined if I loved money or not. But that day, and hopefully every other day after, I said, hey, sorry, but man, that is a great deal. Did you by chance forget to put the air filter on there? And the guy's like, whoa, yeah. Hey, thanks for telling me. I didn't have to tell him, right? But I had the question, I had to ask myself, was I willing to give up my integrity and my character for a 1995 air filter? (laughs) No way. I would know every time I go in there, because I'm always in there with my vehicles, every time I pull in, I'd know, hey, I ripped these guys off. God knows, God knows everything. And potentially the manager would know because he's the one that was checking me out. And his employee forgot to put the air filter on. But at the end of the day, when he's doing his till to what he made to product, he could say, boy, we're short an air filter here. Oh yeah, that's suburban. And that guy. I mean, people remember me, how I look. I mean, it's just, it's just like, hey, I remember you. Well, yeah, I looked so different. But was I willing to? No. So let's read this scripture together as we close. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Let's read it together. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I want to leave you with the question that I asked you earlier on today. True or false? 
How honest we are about money transactions reflects our love of money. Let's pray. Father God, you own it all. And you call us as Christ followers to trust you with it. And that as we seek you and your righteousness and do the next right thing, you'll add everything we need as well. And so I pray that we would trust you in this and that we would not be people who wander and make poor decisions or lie or cheat financially or people who are just going to worry about where we're at with our money and stuff, but that we would trust you in all things. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom and favor in this area and that we would do the next right thing. In your name, amen.